Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we first met our guest today, Vesepia Robinson, in 2002 as Vesepia Towery, an office manager from California who was placed on the Mara Amu tribe in Survivor's fourth season, Marquesas. Starting the game off with an immunity-losing streak, the Mara Amu tribe attended the first three tribal councils of the season. Vesepia set her feelings for Sarah Jones aside, and her, Rob Mariano, and Sean Rector came together, eliminating some early threats in the game, including Hunter Ellis. On day 10, a tribe swap landed Vesepia on the new Rotu tribe, along with Rob and her closest ally, Sean. But they were outnumbered by the original Rotu members, who formed an alliance known as the Rotu Four. However, the original Mara Amus were able to stay alive in the game until the merge, joining with the rest of the new Rotu tribe in voting out Gabriel at the one tribal council they attended. When the tribes merged, Vesepia broke from her original alliance and joined them with the majority of the tribe to vote Rob Mariano out of the game, without even making the jury. Vesepia soon found some new allies after the Rotu 4 inadvertently revealed their pecking order at the next immunity challenge. The outsiders, Vesepia, Sean, Nalia, Pascal, and the iconic Kathy Vavrick O'Brien, came together to vote out the leader of the Rotu 4, John Carroll. In the process, Vesepia and her allies made survivor history, becoming the first group to topple and overthrow a dominant alliance. After systematically eliminating all of the Rotu Four, this new alliance of five was forced to turn on itself. After Kathy sided with Nalia and Pascal, Vesepia lost her closest ally and friend, Sean, leaving her to fend for herself. And fend for herself she did. Vesepia won the next immunity challenge and forced a tie vote between Kathy and Nalia, leading to another historic moment, the first survivor rock draw, which saw Pascal leave the game after drawing a purple rock. At the final immunity challenge, Vesepia struck a deal with Nalia to let her win if she would take Vesepia to the final two. Nalia made good on her promise and voted Kathy out. On day 39, Vesepia and Nalia faced the jury at final tribal council. As it turned out, V was for victory that night, as Vesepia earned four votes, edging out Nalia for the win and the title of Soul Survivor. Vesepia is a legendary winner on so many fronts. She is the first Survivor winner to have won multiple immunity challenges. She won as part of the first all-female final two, and she is the first Black woman to win Survivor, and any major reality competition show for that matter. And that is a crown that she was not able to pass on until 38 seasons later when Marianne won Survivor 42. We're thrilled to have her here because Marquesas is an all-time favorite season for both of us. So welcome to the podcast, Vesepia. 
Thank you so much, both Sean and Evan, for taking me down memory lane. Wow, you know, it's it's not often that I go down there unless someone, like, hears my name, Vesepia, and they're like, there's only one Vesepia I know of, and it's got to be her. And so, you know, I'm pretty hush-hush about my time on Survivor now. It's been 20-plus years, you know, and I'm definitely an OG when it comes to the game. And so I, you know, I've really taken a backseat to a lot of um, interviews and, and things like that just because you know, life goes on and I want to give the ones that are currently winning their their day and, and their glory. So, but this is an honor and I know this is long coming. So thank you guys for being patient with me um, for us to finally be able to meet with you. Well, it is such an honor. As you said, a long time coming. This is a podcast where we respect our OGs. That is the survivor that Sean and I love. You are one of our favorite players to play the game. We're Aww. overjoyed. And I have to say one of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to watch the player hearing the bio read to them because sometimes I can see their mind sort of going down memory lane in the process and Truly. yeah and it's just it's a really uh, fun to hear like names that are so familiar to us to have you react to them even if it's just for Sean and I's eyes only yeah it's um I mean, some of the things that you were saying, I remember so distinctly, you know, what was happening. And um, even to the point where it came down to us uh, getting rid of Rob, um, they started calling me the um, the pancake flipper because they noticed I was just flipping left and right. And I did not care. You know, I was like, as long as I can try to make it to the end, um, I, I try my best to try to keep Sean in as long as possible, you know, but at some point, you know, I, pr I finally had to kind of vote, you know, against him. And I hated doing that, but I knew I had my own motive and my own way of going and not to mention my faith. You know, my faith kept me so strong in that game. And a lot of my decisions was based, based on my faith and nothing else. Mm. So before we get into the game, we want to start by just asking, how are you? Catch us up on what yeah. you've been up to these last few years. Yeah, I am actually really, really well. Um, I'll start with my son. I spent, you know, years raising my son, and he is 19 now, a sophomore in college. He wasn't even born when I was on the show, but definitely an integral part of my life. And him and I spent time during the pandemic actually writing a book together. And um, it's called Moms and Me, M-O-M-Z um, and Me, and you can get it on Amazon. And it's really taking two life stories um, from his childhood, uh, growing up, and how he had to make tough decisions. And through that, he remembered his faith. And he remembered things that people very important to him kind of like embedded and imparted in him. And he made decisions to really stand up to his friends hmm. and go against the grain. So um, that was a labor of love for the both of us to do that together. I'm still working hard. Um, I'm a director at a local um, healthcare industry here in the Bay Area. Um, I love the work that I do. I have a small but mighty team, and they are just total rock stars, and I can't do my work without always acknowledging and recognizing them. Um, my mother, um, she was at the finale when we were, when I won. And now, unfortunately, my mother is bedridden. Um, so I try to make trips back home to Portland um, as often as I can. Usually try like um, every other month just to make sure finances are intact and things are going well with her. 
and then just living my best life. Um, I'm on the board of the Veteran Suicide Prevention Channel. I know you guys know that I'm an Air Force veteran. And so I started this work about two and a half years ago. My brother is actually the president of it. It's out of Austin, Texas. And so for the last two years, I've been the artistic director uh, for their um, art campaign. Um, so they do a um, variety of different things to kind of heal the veterans through the arts. And so they heal them through um, painting, both um, commercial art, both singing, dancing, music, you name it. And I oversaw the Poetry Slam. So you uh, just went online and found people who have a love for poetry and asked them if they would love to be a part of this showcase to help kind of heal our veterans for a month. And so I've done that for the last two years, and it's just been a great thing. And then also working with my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, which is a historically black sorority. And we just do a lot of work in the community of sisterhood, scholarship, and service. So I'm also the chairperson for their arts and letters uh, program. And so we're going to be having our first poetry slam for the youth here in our local community uh, for Black History Month for next month so, or next year, excuse me. So a lot of wonderful things doing, still doing my own poetry. This was my book of poetry oh that I took out on the island <laughs> and it's still tattered and torn from um, the day that I came back from the island. But nonetheless, I still find some empty uh, pages in there. And I started another book also. But yeah, I look at the pages in here and I read some of my poems. Some of them I'm like, wow, that still resonates with me. And then there are others I'm like, oh my God, what, what the heck was I thinking when I wrote that poem? <laughs> but um, there were my words and they were um, things from that moment. And actually last, last thir Wednesday night, I was asked, I'm also part of the Hayward Art Commission here in Hayward, California. And I was asked to go to the teen um, poetry workshop. And it was phenomenal. There was only like five students there, high school and middle school students. And they were sharing their, you know, their poems that they wrote. Then they come together once a month and talk about them and, and get critiques. And there was a the youth art laureate that was there as well. But as we were talking and each kid had to kind of... Um, say their name and who they were and I and we do this at my office um, in healthcare but these young kids not only did they say their name but they also had to say their pronouns so it was really beautiful as each one of them did it and you know um, for face value you know you see someone and you don't realize that you know they may look like a girl but their pronouns are he and her or he and him you know and vice versa so it was just a beautiful moment to hear these kids share these poems you know about their struggles on 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 being bullied or just trying to live um, their best life and in the end there was one young girl that was sitting next to me and in the end she's like because I've now realized this is a safe space um, I can tell you that my pronoun is really he him and can you guys start calling me Alex but if you call my house please still say Allison you know little things like that that you know kids want to have that safe safe space to, to kind of come out and share but yet still, they still have to mask it when they're at home with their mm -hmm. families. How incredible, um, though, that, so just, that you facilitated a space and created an environment yeah. for that child in which they felt that they were able to be them themselves fully. Yeah, absolutely. And it, to realize that this happens on a daily basis and not just to, to young kids, but adults as well. You know, and, um, you know, we just have to let them be their authentic selves 
And, you know, of course, it's unfortunate that society looks down on that. But in the end, they're all humans, you know, mm-hmm. they're human beings. And we want to live our lives as human beings regardless. So it was a beautiful time. And I've just been reflecting on that um, since Wednesday night. So that, in a nutshell, is what I've been doing. Yeah, just a few things, eh, Vesepia? You're, you're, <laughs> give any time for yourself. Yeah, it's great to hear that you're still so active and giving back to the community and uh, yeah. in lots of different ways. But I want to go back to 2001, I guess, when this was filmed. It aired in 2002, yeah. I think. Uh, but I have a, a little behind-the-scenes question that I've always wondered about because I've always heard that season four was planned to be shot in Jordan and was going to be titled Survivor Arabia. This is like the long lost season of Survivor and that Marquesas was a last minute change brought about by the fallout of 9-11. And so what do you know about the filming location? Were you ever told you're going to the Middle East? Were you planning to go there? Like how much did the players know about that switch? Yeah. So, and, and I can only speak for myself. I did not know um, that we were actually going to Jordan until I, until I started researching. I went online and just started, because there were tons of hedge hunters. You know, back then, season four, like from seasons one to probably six, Survivor was huge. And you had hedge hunters literally in Santa Monica, California, trying to find out where they're housing them for their auditions and things like that. So we were really under wraps. So even before going there, I was like, yeah, let me go online and just see. And sure enough, these hedge hunters were talking about, you know, it's been it's been spotted or identified that they're going to the country of Jordan. And I was like, oh, Middle East. Ah! So I just started researching and researching everything that I can think about of, you know, how to adapt in the sand and how to adapt in the desert. And so that was my mindset. And they, of course, they never really advertised it. Even when we went to Santa Monica um, for that two-week audition, they didn't advertise that. We did. We had no idea. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was preparing for a desert type of environment. And um, and then when it ultimately changed, um, and then well, I should say when 9-11 hit, the first thing was, oh, crap, they're going to cancel ours completely, you know. But um, then they started advertising. Then they started hearing again from these hedge hunters. Uh, yeah, here Marquesas Islands is it. And I was like, where the heck is a Mar- Marquesas Island, right? So I'm going online now and starting to to uh, chime in and l- learn a little bit about that area. So that's where I found out about it, just really online. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned this research that you did in advance, which I think is just another check in the box of all of the ways in which you so savvily played this game you know you were even thinking about how to play before you even got to the beach now to that end you are credited as the first quote under the radar winner of survivor and i'm wondering what the term under the radar means to you and how you feel about it and if you think it's an accurate depiction of your gameplay so I do think it was an accurate depiction of my gameplay because it was very intentional. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't define my gameplay as under the radar at that time. Um, But I was very intentional on making sure that things that I did, I did not want the people that were behind the cameras and the producers to know. And so, and what I mean by that, when I was at my little confessionals and interviews, I was so methodical not to give a whole lot of information. And I believe in one sense, it may have been a detriment to my gameplay because I chose not to divulge a lot 
in those confessionals that I was not one of the ones that they pulled to do a lot of confessionals with. Because when they would bring me, I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And they'd be like, Vesepi, you got to give us more. And I'm, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, they are not going to use my words against me. <laughs> you know, They are not going to take what I'm saying and meet with somebody else and go, so Vesepia said this. What do you think about that? And And maybe that's what they were doing. I don't know. But in my mind, I was preparing myself. And again, I think it was a detriment to my game as a whole. Because if I, I kept wondering, like, why the heck is Sean out there for four hours (laughs) doing a a, a confessional or Boston Rob? I'm out there for 20 minutes. You know, what's going on? And so then I would sit with them. Again, this was part of my strategy is to sit with each person and just get to know them on a, on a more personal level. And as I was talking with them, I was learning that they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I was telling them all this crazy shit, you know, because they didn't want to do this. And I was like, forget that. Forget that. I'm going to do this. And I was like, you telling them all that? You know, and they were like, yeah. And I was like, uh-uh, I ain't giving up my information. I'm sorry. Because then after a while, I started noticing that, that when they would say things to me, they were like, so what? what do you and Sean may not have said it this way but they'll go what do you think about Sean's decision to da 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 da?" and I'd be like if he wants to do that let him do it (laughs) you know and they were like you got to give us something and I was like yeah no I'm not giving you nothing so later on when I started to hear that they actually coined it as under the radar player I stepped back and I go and and I didn't know that until after I saw the show because there were definitely things that I did say and there were definitely things that I did do that irregardless of what I did say in my confessionals, they didn't use them in the game. And even to the point where other tribe members would call me and be like, okay, see, I know you did this and why aren't they showing that, right? And I was just like, I don't know. So I started to put maybe like two to two together because I was reading stuff on the internet and on the internet, they were saying, oh, yeah, Vesepi is our, our first uh, under-the-radar person. I was like, under-the-radar? And I was like, maybe Survivor is taking that and using it to kind of mold my character into mm. this under-the-radar character, which was a little frustrating because I knew the things that I did, but then later I realized, okay, I remember right there, I said something else. And what they're showing is not what I said in that situation. So did I answer your question? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, you know, you mentioned Boston Rob a moment ago. And I'm wondering, you know, you met and got to play with a very different Boston Rob than the Boston Rob we saw on later seasons. And I'm wondering what you made of, you know, knowing this Boston Rob from a pre-jury boot in Marquesas to a runner-up in All-Stars to winning Redemption Island and becoming a literal, you know, becoming a literal idol on Island of the Idols. What was that like for you to witness as someone that actually knows the real Boston Rob? Boston Rob was a game player you know, from the beginning. And I always knew he was a game player. So after a while, him and I did not have a a relationship out there. Sean was our like go between. And, um, but I also knew that he was very meticulous in watch. He was cunning because he would watch everyone and he was watching my gameplay. And I knew at some point he was going to be gunning for me 
you know, and but he knew that he had to go through Sean to get through get to me. And I was trying to do everything I could <laughs> to get him out of there because I knew how he was. And so um, from our game to watching him go forward, I always knew that he had it in him. And I gave him mad props. Um, each time he went out there, I was hoping that he would win because, I, number one, I would always say he was on my season first, you know, <laughs> and, and and kind of be able to hold that that pride. But then the second part of it was this. He was the the type of poster boy for Survivor that I think um, really held um, Survivor together for many, many years. And um, I just always appreciated his gameplay. I never looked, criticized his gameplay because he was always very smart and extremely crafty in his game. And you can always say, you got him out first. <laughs> you got him before he got you. For sure, yeah. Because <laughs> it was, um, there were three, really two people that I knew knew my gameplay for whatever reason. Um, Boston Rob was one. And then the second one, surprisingly enough, was Zoe. And the only reason I say that is because Zoe was always, she never kind of sided with me because she was definitely um, thick as thieves with Kathy, but she was always watching. And then one time when I went out, um, because I was writing, um, one of my other big strategies was to be, to have the very strong social game. And so one of my strategies is to make sure that I sat down with every single person that I played with and learn as much as I could about them. Because again, my book of poetry, I would go out in the woods and I would just write every little thing that I learned about someone, you know, just find my little alcove and just write stuff. One day, if Zoe didn't creep up on me and saw me writing this stuff (laughs) in my book and she scared the crap out of me and she's like, oh, what is that? And I was like, oh, I'm just out here reading my poems. And she looked at me like, yeah, right. And so part of me was just like, okay, this girl has got to go because she is going to blow (laughs) my cover that I am writing very specific things down about each and every person. And sure enough, it just ended up that that very next tribal, she got voted out. So I was like, whew, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I actually want to talk about that a little bit because you talked about this in advance of that immunity challenge of so sort of how do you how well do you know your tribe mates? And you laid out your strategy very blatantly at one point saying one of the goals I had while I was here was to develop a relationship with everyone and know as much as I can about them. It not only helped you win one of those final immunity challenges at a really critical point, but I think it was the strategy that may have won you the game. And it's a strategy that doesn't often get a lot of credit because it's not very flashy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, number one, if you notice, I don't think they've ever brought that challenge back. If They have maybe one time, but I don't think they've ever brought that back. And were you going to say something, Evan? I was just going to say I wish they would because I feel like it's such a great and compelling challenge to watch. I, I agree. And part of it, I think, you know, I think after even after our season, they don't even bring back personal items because it was definitely something. And I don't think the um, producers expected me to use my book of poetry in the way that I used it. And so um, having that opportunity to to kind of 
take advantage of something that was kind of just brought in for personal reasons and use it as part of my strategy. Um, I think it's a great thing to be able to do, but I don't know if it was something that they chose. Oh, hell no. Vesepia did that and worked it. And so we're not going to bring that back. And it's Mm. unfortunate that um, I don't get the accolades for, for doing that. Um, and I and I watch a lot of like the little YouTube videos that come out, like they'll say the top 10 that did this or the top 10 that do that. And it was surprising to see, you know, that I made like within the top five of a lot of these and one of them being um, uh, very strategic minded and telling you what they're going to do all the way to the end. And you saw it. Um, but it, it's just unfortunate that the accolades that I felt that I should have been honored for, I really don't get. Hmm. Well, we hope to give them to you today. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> Somebody else that you played with is one of our all-time favorite characters from Survivor, and that's Kathy. And yeah. there's such a great story here between you and Kathy with the uh, deal at, at uh, the final four that you would take each other to the final two. And then you kind of get out of that commitment in the final immunity challenge when you let Nalia win uh, in exchange for her promising to take you to the final two. I think that's such an interesting moment, another moment that may have won you the game, because I have to imagine that probably both you and Nalia were worried about sitting next to Kathy in the final tribal council. So I'm curious, did you see Kathy as a, as a threat to win the game? And if so, why? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, from because I was not on Kathy's original tribe. But once we start, once we did the flip, and we went over to Kathy's old tribe, and Kathy went to ours, we got the 411 on on who she was you know she was mama bear she was a provider uh, she just wanted to make sure that the team stayed strong and so she brought that and the team really and truly appreciated that and then when we merged found out that the other people that were left on our my original tribe brought that same sentiment so and then of course as i got to get to know her she still had that same mindset, that same mentality of being that mama bear. I mean, I had some really deep and lovely conversations with Kathy, and I could see her likability. I could see her warmth. And But in seeing all of that and knowing what I knew, number one, I, I wanted to align with her just so I could have that cushion and so people can see that relationship that was being built. But I also knew there is no way in hell (laughs) that I was going to go to the finals with her. And I said, something has to happen in this final challenge to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. Because Nalia knew that we had formed this alliance. She was, you know, of course, she was angry with Kathy because she had been with Kathy for a very, very long time. And she really felt that their relationship had developed and grew again. Um, But then we were also getting very close. So there is that level of frustration. So me um, being very calculating, thinking all of this through, like, okay, I know that now that's that's a contentious area now between Nalia and Kathy. Um, So something has got to happen in this final challenge where I don't have to keep my my agreement with her. And I mean, and even if in the end I would have won that challenge, 
I would not have taken Kathy to the end. And I would have fought tooth and nail to explain why. And my explanation would have been like, y'all, seriously, look at her. (laughs) Do you want to win the money or do you want to, you know, just let this person win because you guys think that she should win? No, I, I would not have done that even if I didn't make that decision. But it's like... um the the moons aligned perfectly in that challenge because I never expected Nalia and again Nalia did not do what she did maliciously when she identified um and and mentioned to Kathy that her shirt was you know was flopping open I truly believe she didn't do that maliciously but in the process of doing that you know we're getting weak up there and when she looked down and lost that balance, I was like, there, yes, there is a God. <laughs> and I said, this could not have happened at a perfect moment. And I'm just like, Lord, are you aligning these things up for me for a reason? Because, you know, with the situation that happened before and me um, having my book of poetry, just so many things were aligning up so right for the, in the, at the right time. So when that happened, there was no doubt in my mind that I was like, look, this little girl, and I and, I, and remember at that age, Ke- uh, um, Nalia was a little girl. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. this little girl hasn't won yet. And I'm going to kind of, you know, beef this up by saying, hey, you know, I will step off, give you immunity because you mm. haven't won it yet if you take me to the finals with you. And granted, and I have to say, well, oh yeah, go ahead. No, and granted, Nalia and I had talked. We both knew that um, there was no way either one of us would want to take Kathy. So. And what I was just going to say is, I rewatched that episode, you know, prior to us speaking today. And one of the things that I love is that in Modern Survivor, no one would ever give up the opportunity to have an immunity win because there's so much value in how many immunity wins you have and using that as part of your resume at Final Tribal. And I love that at this stage of the game, it didn't matter. You recognize the fact that like you were going to beat Nalia, you knew you had it in you. So whether or not you got that final immunity, as long as it got you to the end, which you knew it would, it didn't matter who won the challenge. I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. And the game goes so fast now. I don't even think I'd ever wanna play now, but it is so fast now that these guys, their heads must be aching every minute because they're constantly thinking strategy. And at least during my time, we had literally downtime where, I mean, people may have been thinking strategy, but you at least laughed and you at least had fun with people. And we trekked the island and did all these things. And 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 who's to say? They may be doing it, but we don't see it. And it really makes the game, um, whatever you get, you're keeping it. Because, you know, it's your lifeline. And back right. then, it really wasn't our lifeline. It was just like, you know, let's see what we can do. And then you got to make make a decision at that moment. Yeah. When was the last time that you spoke to Kathy? Oh, probably about a year and a half ago. Because our, our entire cast got together and, and did a, a Zoom, um, just a gathering. And, and she was on that, and we laughed and joked and talked. But even before that, her and I went to the um, Give Kids the World event. Have you guys heard of that in uh, Florida? Mm-hmm. So both me, her, Nalia, um, we were all there, and we all shared a room. So Wow. Yeah, so that we got could be a, a reality little- show. 
<laughs> yeah. Hey, it was good, you know, and and maybe it was just hey, you were you know you're masking it, but we had so much fun. And this one, I wish I had I could show you the video, but there was a video where we were at Chick Fil A because we were going to give kids a world. And we all were in one car, and we went to Chick Fil A, and we were all in our pirates and princess gear. I had a pirate gear on. Nalia had, uh, I think it was. Um, Anna from the from Frozen, and then Kathy had on Snow White, and she was just like, "Hi, little kids!" Hi. And I am laughing so hard because these kids see her, and then they get scared and they run away. She was like, "Don't run away! Come to me!" And it was the funniest time that we had. And every now and then, I'll pull that video back up on Facebook, and you can just hear me cracking up. But. <laughs> I Have you guys that. had her on your show? No, we are we dying to have her. A, we can't yeah. find like we've we've found her on Instagram, but it's like her her realty whatever page. We, we can't we can't contact her. Well, I will reach out to her and see if she's interested. Be a... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I will. I'll reach out to her and see that would if truly she's be interested. a Christmas miracle. Yeah, Aww. truly, truly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know how much involved she still is with Survivor, but I'll see if she's willing to. But we've had good luck with finding people that are not often on the podcast circuit, or, or yeah, we've had that's one of our sweet spots. Uh, it was we try and we like to find the people that are no longer in the Survivor verse okay. because they're who we really want to hear from. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So Kathy's our holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But I, yeah, I thought it was interesting you were talking about, uh, you know, the difference between modern Survivor and old school Survivor and, you know, wanting immunity wins or wanting these trinkets in the game versus I think what was happening in your season, which is that relationships were valuable, right? Like those relationships you had. And I think one of the great relationships of a Survivor, Marquez says, one of the all-time great duos of Survivor is you and Sean. And in an early conversation together, you said, there's a whole other game going on that people don't even know about. And you had some really great and profound conversations just as friends, but also about being two black players in this game together at a time when that was quite rare, unfortunately. Have you noticed a change in the conversation or awareness around race on Survivor since you've played? So... You've got to remember, we're only getting so much of what the editing will allow us to see. And a lot of, even a lot of the profound conversations that Sean and I had did not make, did not make television. Um, it seemed like a lot of our conversations that made it, really made it home that we were the ones uh, nudging the race card and trying to play the race game. We're really, you know, as two African-American we really related to each other and we identify with each other. So it's just commonplace that when you're sitting and you're just talking, you're just like, what do you think our, our family's going to feel when they see us, you know, on this show together? Then we're like, God, they're going to be so proud, you know? And, and so there were some of those elements that were not shown, but they showed the other parts of those conversations. With that being said, for right after, um, and you probably are aware of this, there were four of us OGs that got together and realized that um, there was a, a disconnect with the number of people of color, not just African-Americans, but people of color 
on Survivor. And, and, and then some of the other shows too, but particularly Survivor. And so, and then as we started talking, we started sharing about some of the, I don't want to say injustices, but things that we felt were a run afoul um, as it dealt with, with race. Um, some very um, up in your face things that I was shocked to hear about. And then some very microaggression things that were happening. And so as we got together and started talking about this, we were like, and this was during the COVID and during pandemic time, we were like, we need to talk to somebody from CBS, <laughs> you know, about this. And in the process of us having these conversations, there was another subset of young people that were on Survivor, that were people of color, that were also having the same conversation. And so um, through this um, and then watching the show, we were noticing that when they were showing black people, it really was highlighting the more racial aspect of it, but not the, wow, you know, people of us that look like us are going to be so proud to see us. And, you know, we got to do them proud. You know, we can't do, we can't kind of like go against the other brother or other sister that's on the show, things like that. Um and so we were kind of disappointed. And then after we started talking with other survivors, they had similar discussions and similar conversations. So ultimately, we ended up getting getting um, a seat at the table with, C- with CBS. Actually, two different seats at the table. Um, and prior to that, our, our teams got together and we shared what is it that we want to see you know, changed in Survivor. And we've been so, so proud to say that the last, I think, four seasons that have come is a direct reflection on the work and the efforts that we put out there. Mm-hmm. And um, and we do like the fact that it's not just showing the, the race card because it becomes a little bit more limited when you have a majority people of color. You know, um, you actually see them kind of working their angles because they're all people of color and you don't have to throw out, you know, oh, yeah, I got to do this to this person because they're they're black or they're white or why are they together because they're black. It's just that that's just the way it is. Um, With that being said, I have really, really appreciated watching the last couple of seasons. Um, But. To one angle, I did start getting a little, and this is just me sharing, a little kind of annoyed after a while, because I think when it's when they started getting down to the tribal to the jury, that a lot of these conversations became a little bit too much, um, where they were really talking about, you know, yeah, you know this is my, my person of color and I can't vote them out because they're the same color as me and, and y'all just don't understand that. And it was that type of, y'all just don't understand that. And I felt that after a while, um, people that were not um, people of color would be like, here they go again. They're throwing that, that same vernacular out there that we don't understand. We do understand, you know. So after a while, I started getting a little frustrated because that same narrative was happening from one episode, one season's jury to the next season's jury, and I was just like, okay, after a while, this is gonna be a, this is gonna start getting annoying. 
Um, and I didn't see that in this last season, probably because all the blacks were voted out already. But um, yeah, it, it, it just makes my heart feel good to know that the work and the efforts that we put forth um, were actually noticed. I'm wondering if you had any response to, you know, season 13 of the show, Cook Islands, because, you know, this is sort of in this middle ground, more towards the early era of Survivor, I'd say at this point, in which they were addressing the problem in a sense by creating this cast that was comprised of 75% POC, which clearly a record at the time for Survivor, and yet the way in which they went about it by isolating the tribes by race came under a lot of scrutiny at the time. And I'm wondering what your response was to that, because in a sense, it's like they're trying to address a problem, but it doesn't seem like they were addressing it well. And yet we ended up with four POC players as the final four in that season. So there kind of seems to be some rough and some smooth there. And I'm wondering what your response was. Yeah, so Sean and I had a conversation at, at our finale. Sean and I sat down with Mark Brunette and Sean actually posed that idea to Mark Brunette and said, why don't you have a season where you got you know, a black tribe, a white tribe, a, a Latino tribe, and an Asian tribe, you know, and let's see how that happens. And so then when it happened in Cook Island, we were like, what? what? <laughs> um, and, and I had no problem with it because I was just like so elated to see this come about and to see how it would unfold and obviously quite proud because you know it was um four people of color that made it to the finals um so to have that come to flourishing so early on and not to say that that sean put the bug in their ear but i you know i pride myself on knowing that hey you put the bug in their ear and it actually happened um Mm. was something that i i so appreciated and i don't know if you guys have ever got it's been years ago and you may be able to find it on youtube there was a a comedy spoof that was done but it was this spoof where they had four tribes of different colors of different ethnic backgrounds and it was just total spoof they had to like build uh build shelter right and every time they were uh, giving the the black tribe <laughs> the bare minimums, <laughs> and then they would give the white tribe, you know, like wood and a saw and a power drill and, and all this. They'd give the Asian tribe, you know, just a couple of planks. And then the Mexican tribe said, don't worry, you don't have to give us that. We just got our friend back here with the truck. They've got all the stuff loaded. So it was <laughs> it was this, this total spoof. And then they did one like fire making and they gave the, the black uh, tribe a bucket of water. <laughs> they gave uh, the white tribe this whole full um, fire making kit. <laughs> and, and it was just this, I mean, and it's funny, you know, of course you got to laugh at it and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. But it was actually funny to kind of watch that. And mm. then to see that season happen and to watch, watch it uh, unfold was really great. Mm. 
You know, we're talking about appreciation. I, I want to talk about underappreciation for a moment because I feel like there are a number of players in this game, ones that we on this podcast particularly find ourselves loving, uh, winners that just do not get their due. You know, uh, Todd comes to mind as an early example, but I think one of the best examples would be you, Vesepia. And I'm wondering, over time, do you feel like the Survivor fandom has uh, become more appreciative of you and your win, both from the historic nature of your win, but even that aside, just the fact that you have a, a level of gameplay that I don't think is often credited for being as high level as it really was? So, you know, this always is a contentious um area for me to talk about sometimes I really get emotional about it because I so appreciate it that when people come back and they share with me that they went back and re-looked at my my season and um because at face value they were just like yeah you were a great player at the beginning then all of a sudden you died off and we didn't see you anymore and then poop you popped up at the end but then people come back and they go but the way you did it if they, when they saw pictures of me, um, they would always see that my brain was always working and that I was always looking at stuff and they go, and they didn't give you credit for that. You know, and if the producers would have been a little bit more smarter in, in their portrayal of you, they would have been watching you and pulling you aside and saying, we noticed, you know, you looking at that situation very methodically, you know, what were you thinking in that moment? And, um, as people come back to me and they just said, yeah, Vesepia, after I watched your season again, um, you had so many firsts that they have, for whatever reason, have chosen not to recognize and which is forcing us as fans to recognize. And they said, and it's really unfortunate, even when um, certain people um, from previous seasons are at their like finale and Jeff Probst is talking to them, it's clearly stuff that you had done before, but they will say Sandra, or they will say someone else, and then people will come back and go, no, Vesepia was the first to do that. She was the first to start flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and make it to the end. No, Vesepia was the one that um, got out the, the top person the very first time. Nova Sepia was the one, you know, at the last tribal council to flip on the, the main person. So little things like that have been frustrating. And, and, and I don't watch Survivor to get those accolades to see if that's going to happen. I'm a still, still a full, huge lover of the game. And there are some people that I know and I'm very close to who are not, you know, Sean is not, he does not watch one. And I, I'm like, Oh, are you watching the finale? He's like, no. <laughs> um, Philip, I talked with Philip, what, two days ago, he called me out of the blue and he was just like, did you hear that? Um, the, the winner gave his a million dollars to the veterans. I said, yeah, I was, I watched it. And he's like, well, that's not fair. You know, you got people who wanted to win that money. And I'm like, Hey, that was his choice. But um, there's clearly clearly a lot of people who I know that don't watch it. But yeah, it, it, it makes me emotional because regardless of the way they portrayed me on the show, I know what I did. And the people that were out there with me know what I did. And even to their credit, they, they on a regular basis will say, God, you just... I don't know why they chose to blackball you or, or not give you the accolades that you deserved um, from winning. Hmm. 
Is it true, Vesepia, that you have never been asked to return? So the very first um, Survivor All-Stars, that was maybe like season like seven or eight or something like that. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I did get a phone call. No, I'm sorry. it It was an email. You know, we're just contacting people to see if they would be interested. And then I said, yes, I'd be interested. And that was the last. Any of the other ones, not even a phone call, not even an email. No. Even winners at war. Even winners at war. Wow. No. And, you know, some people were saying, well, you should sue them because as a winner, each and every time they do like a winner season and they're not contacting you, um, that probably could be grounds because it's not like you are under some statute of limitations because every time they have a winner, you fall into that category. Um, But then you have to ask your question, am I the only winner that they're not contacting? If I'm the only winner they're not contacting, then that's, that's one thing. But if they contacted others and they just said, no, I don't want to do it, then that's another thing. Or if some people said, yeah, I, I didn't get contacted either, then um, then it, there really wouldn't be a case. I mean, outside of it being disappointing not having you there, it one of the things that made Winners at War such a flop season, in my opinion, was that it so favored these new school winners that they were literally able to align together as new school winners and take out the old school players. And I know for me personally, seeing Ethan back on Survivor all those years later was by far the best part of Winners at War. No disrespect to the recent winners, but we just saw them. Like they've had their moment. I feel like the really fun thing about returning player seasons is the opportunity to check back in with players who you haven't seen sometimes in decades. And I just feel like it was such a missed opportunity not to have you back, not to have Tina back, so many, not to have Todd back. Mm -hmm. There were just so many winners. And from what we've heard from some of these people, they too were not contacted and it's egregious. Yeah. Like it's wild. Yeah, I agree. And even talking with a couple of people that were on Winners at War, they were shocked. Particularly like women said, when we started to identify who was coming out, we were like, where is Vesepia? You know, and then, of course, when the women came onto the island and the guys were already there, some of the guys were like, wait, she's not here? That's shocking, you know. Yeah. And and it was disappointing because, and, and just to be full transparency, every time that they had some type of winter season or season where they were bringing people back and you hear about that they're doing that, you know, the first thing that's going through my mind is, okay, is my phone going to ring? Okay, am I going to get an email? And and yeah, I was looking, you know, to see and never. So it was it was disappointing. And then people would be like, I wonder if Vesepi is coming or, oh, I can't wait to see if Vesepi is going to be out there. And sure enough, the internet would, would make me feel really good because they're like, what? Again, they're not bringing Vesepia, you know, why, you know, why are they blackballing her? Why are they choosing not to do this? And even when, and I don't know if you know this, but in our very first meeting with CBS, um, the four of us, and there were, there were more of us than just four that actually met with CBS the first time. Um, we all had like five minutes to kind of share our own story. And um, Jeff Probst was there, the CEO of um, CBS, the diversity and equity 
VP and a couple of others were all there and we all had a platform to share our story. We all typed our stories up so we, you know, wouldn't go over time and we kind of stuck to our script. But in mine, um, I, I, I really did a lot of research and I, and some of the accolades that you guys shared at the beginning, some of those stats, I had those in my, um, my, my letter to them and just broke it all down. And so in the end, I just said, and I said specifically to Jeff Probst, with all of this being said, I'm asking you, why was I never um, contacted? And I don't know if you guys ever heard what his response was. I'd like to hear. He said, it was our oversight. That is all he said. He said, Vesepi, I have to be honest, it was an oversight. And I said, well, that's a shitty answer. Yeah. And that was all he could say in that moment. And um, and then from there, I'm just like, okay, it was an oversight. So what's going to happen next? You know, is there going to be an opportunity? And I just, and I was very honest. I said, I don't, I, I would not want to go out there now. I mean, I'm 57 years old now and I'm still young, granted, but I've had, uh, you know, I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor. I've had my um, ACL torn and and repaired. And every time I think about trying to do some of those challenges and running in sand and sliding down some, you know, some some board or climbing up something and having to drop from it, all I keep thinking about my knees would not be able to take it. And there's no way I want to see my I'd want my family to see me out there doing that. Mm. But, you know, there are other opportunities. You know, I would love to do something like what what Sean or Boston Rob and Sandra did, where they were just on an island chilling and the people came over and they just talked to them. Even if I didn't have no idea what I'd be like, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. But look, this is what. I think you should be doing, you know, mm-hmm. you know, having something like that, as opposed to all this real strategy, just sit and be like, let me tell you what I did. And maybe you can try <laughs> this because obviously you're not doing good out there, you know, stuff like that. I think sometimes it's really, it would be interesting for them to go against the grain and do something very different than what they've always done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's so many really cool opportunities. Like we saw that uh, one season where, Cochrane came as a reward just to give yes! advice like, to Debbie, right? Like, let's do let like let's celebrate the history of Survivor and let's celebrate our historic winners. Exactly, and especially if um, castmates that are currently on have done confessionals where they may have talked about people that they would like to see or stuff like that. Um, someone sent me an uh, an email, an article that Owen from this last season had talked about me in a very positive way and, and my gameplay and, you know, it made me feel really good. And so having opportunities like that, where you know that someone has talked about you and they bring you out there and they, maybe they win a challenge, they turn a corner just like, Oh my God, Vesepi is here. You know, things like that would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll put it out into the universe and maybe it will happen. Let it go out there. <laughs> but I want to follow up a little bit on the diversity campaign and the work of, of the Black Survivors Alliance and the Soul Survivors, because, of course, we got some great results in terms of the casting initiative. I understand there's also a behind the scenes initiative where uh, by a certain year, 50% of the crew will also be POC. But we're wondering, and one of our patrons, April, also submitted this question, has it had the impact that you've hoped it would have? Or do you feel like they could still be doing anything different? 
without a doubt, it has had the impact that we expected. Um, my hope is that, you know how you have like a, a piece of paper um, out on the highway? And what happens to that piece of paper when a car flies by it? Flutters in the air, right? Mm -hmm. And then yep. it eventually comes down. I hope that this time, these last three, four seasons, haven't been the flutter, haven't been the paper in the air. Because um, this season, yeah, it had a good cast of characters, but not to the extent it had in the last previous ones. And so I'm like, okay, has you know the paper landed on the ground and no more cars are going by it? So I just said I'm going to give it a benefit of the doubt. And even this new season that's getting ready to come out, I was like, okay, not seeing as many um, you know BIPOC people on here. Don't tell me that this was just a phase. This can't be a phase. And um, I don't know a whole lot about the behind the scenes. And that was another part that, you know, we wanted to continue to have contact with them to see, you know, have you hired? What are you doing? But a lot of that has kind of disbanded and we don't, we really don't know. And even to the point where one of the things that we talked about is, you know, when during the audition time, when we're in Santa Monica, those two weeks, bringing some some people of color there, past cast members there, and having conversations with some of these people as they are going through this process, whether they make it or not. Um, and that, what we would constitute as also behind the scenes as well. And, and yeah, and maybe even film that, because I know we as an audience would be really eager to see those conversations. And you know what you were yeah. saying earlier, how maybe you don't want to return to the game in the sense of playing it again. That would be a great opportunity to invite alumni back on the show in a way that's not necessarily having them compete once again. Yeah, so very true. And I mean, there's so many opportunities and so many ways that you can look at involving um, past survivors and not just always these ones that are that just finished, but keeping the legacy of um, Survivor alive by pulling on some of these OGs that haven't been seen. Yes. Not the OGs that you always bring back, but some of the ones that really have not been been seen or recognized. And not just me as a winner, but Sean. You know, Sean was so iconic. And I hate, you know, I, I'm going to keep throwing his name out there because that's my boy. Yeah. And, and he was hilarious out there and he went further than Boston Rob and um and yet and still he has not been back out there it's crazy it's crazy I know I've heard his story about all stars and oh. thinking he was going out there and then not going out there yeah. and like if there was anybody who deserved to be out on all stars it was Sean so very true. And too, I just feel like the bond that you and Sean had and the fact that you're still friends today just goes to show you that like this show can transcend just these 39 days and create these yeah. lifelong friendships. And even as you mentioned the story with Kathy and Nalia, it's just so heartening to hear that there still is this bond. And I think there are so many of us that would love to see these relationships, you know, all these years later. So yeah. anyway, we're putting it out there. Um, a few yeah. last questions before we let you go. This mm -hmm. is from our one of our patrons. His name is Ricky. He says you're his favorite player of all time. And Aww. Ricky wants to know what you think of Jeff in the new era of Survivor compared to the Jeff you knew back in season four. Um, it's something that we talk a lot about on this show is the ways in which we've witnessed Jeff Probst change. 
in many ways, uh, but we don't know him personally. You do. Um, so what has it been like from your perspective as a player and then now a fan of the show to watch that? Uh, I don't know if we want to call it an evolution. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, back in our day, Jeff was so warm and welcoming. And and the same with Mark Brunette. Because, and I don't know if Mark Brunette still, still does this, but he was on the island the entire time that we were filming. So we not only saw him, but we saw him and his, and his boys. I mean, I think his boys are like probably in their 20s and, you know, now. But um, it was such a great opportunity to laugh and joke with, with uh, Jeff Probst. Transitioning now to this time, I think that they give him way too much of a freaking platform. And um, he, he really drives those conversations way too much. And it gets really frustrating because um, he's now trying to be politically correct and asking, you know, hey, you know, are you guys, um, we're going to change it. I'm not going to say, come on in, guys, anymore. And, and just like, really? Has anybody really had a problem with that? And maybe they did, but I don't know. Um, I just think that he's writing that, that political conscious train a little bit too much for me um but that's that's my opinion um other people may really love it and appreciate it but people that i've talked to could mm -mm, could care less (laughs) yeah yeah we talk a lot about jeff on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's funny going back and watching your season and one of the joys of revisiting this show is just like, he's so much more sedate in those early seasons and so much more, I'll use the word tolerable, um, in that he just isn't as hyper as he is in these current seasons because you feel that need for him to think, I think in his mind it seems, the more energy I bring, the more the audience is going to feel that energy. And I understand that intention, but I don't think it translates in the way that he means it to. Oh, I don't think so, because I think the castmates are the ones that are driving that. Right. I mean... We wouldn't have even thought about getting up and walking over to another tribe member and having a you know whisper or pulling them to the side, and and probably because we never asked was that okay, you know we just kind of sat on our little stumps and just did tribal <laughs> council, but um, I get more entertainment out of that that's happening jeff can go and go use the bathroom and just watch these guys do what they're doing and that's where the entertainment comes in and he's just kind of like that that side person to kind of interject certain questions to kind of keep them going yeah Speaking of the new school, I mentioned that it took 38 seasons for another African-American woman to win Survivor. I shouldn't say African-American, she's she's Canadian Uh, (laughs) uh, from my hometown here. And uh, and so we loved watching Marianne work her way through Survivor 42 and win. I'm wondering what your reaction to Marianne's win was. Proud, honored, um, well-deserved. Um, I got emotional because it took so long for another black female to win. And people always say, you know, 
there's still not another African-American black woman that's one. You know, she's Canadian. And I just said, I know. So that's why I always say another black woman to win. Um, and then the fact that she's young, you know, I loved that. So you've got me as an OOG and then you got her as a little young, young G. Um that one, I haven't personally talked with her yet. Uh, I did send her a, a Facebook message um, on her win. I actually did an interview with her old university, Masters University. Um, a cl- they're doing a class there. And they were on my season. They were actually watching my season. And so they asked me to come and speak. And, and that was wonderful. But um, I could not have been prouder. I mean, of, of all the... When I think back of all the African-Americans or black women that have been on there since we started um, the whole BIPOC stuff and the the work that the Black Survivor Alliance did till now. um, I didn't think a lot of them were really, and I'm just being honest, were worthy of it. Um, But I loved her because she she really just like transformed on there. First, when she first came on, I was just like, oh, this girl is going to get voted out quick. But <laughs> but then I started, she grew on me. And I, because not only was she funny and wiry, but she was intelligent, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and she played such a smart, creative game that I just felt she was worthy of it. I mean, there's some that were previous seasons. I was just like, man, you're trying so hard. You're just trying too hard. And some people love that. I particularly don't don't like that too much. Um, but I like those that, you know, have fun while they're out there, but you can see that they still have a very strategic mind. And then in the end, you really start to see it unfold. Yeah. I have to say, Vizabio, what a missed opportunity on Survivor's part not to have you and Marianne sit down together and for Survivor to facilitate that conversation is ridiculous to me. I mean, it's crazy that you two haven't already had a conversation with that Survivor, again, wouldn't want to honor its legacy in a way. Exactly. It's bizarre, uh, and I feel like it's it's withholding something that audiences would really value. So Mm -hmm. shame on them. Anyway, before we let you go, the very last question. So Sean and I have dreamed up what we call the Survivor Legends season. Uh, In Uh our mind, it's going to be airing as season 50 of the show. This is all something we have made up, but it's very real to us. Now, you said (laughs) in this interview, you are not interested in playing again, which we will accept, though you have a spot on our Survivor Legends season if you (laughs) want it. But with that in mind, who would you like to see cast on our very real Survivor Legends season? Oh, God. You have to put up a list so I can look at all these <laughs> names of people. Um, I would love, if I had to start with the first season, um, I know he would probably never play again, and he's probably blackballed from Survivor. I'd love to see Richard Hatch back out there. Me too. I <laughs> I would. Um I would actually like to see not Kelly's Wigglesworth, but what's the one that called her the rat? Oh, Sue Hawk. Sue yes. Hawk. Yeah. Love to see Sue Hawk out there. I'm just trying to go down different seasons. I know, I'm loving I'm not it. Remember anybody. <laughs> um Australia. I <laughs> huh. I love that you're going season by season. I know. I I'm like um gosh. I really liked Alicia. Mm. Um, and 
Oh, God. And I don't know if he's... See, and I hate this because I think some people have passed on. Like, like passed away. And so I don't want to say their names. So... Huh? It's been a while. I get it. It has. It has. Um, Africa, I would probably say there was a young lady that was from Oregon. And I really wanted to see her play again because she was from my my home state, hmm. that she was part of the Africa team. And she never got an opportunity to go back out there to play. Man, I can't think of her name. Lindsay Rector? Um, Lindsay! Yes. Power of Google. I really want... <laughs> I really want... I, I hoped that she would have come back again because I really enjoyed watching her play. Um... And then, of course, me and Sean. Yes. Well, of course, you and Sean. Hello. I do want to say, though, to uh, Alicia, as you mentioned, I feel like Alicia is exactly that kind of player that should be brought back, which is that player who was a huge part of the show for a certain era and then, like, completely yep. has dropped out of Survivor lore just because it's she's one of those players that doesn't get regarded anymore. So all the exactly. more reason to bring her back. It's sort of like what they did with Kelly Wigglesworth uh, and bringing yep. her back all of those seasons later. I'm sure a lot of those players, or excuse me, audiences watching it probably had no idea who she was at that point. So what an exciting thing to not only introduce her, but have it be shown that, hey, you might not know her, but she's a legend. Exactly. So I'm curious to hear what you guys' list is mm. for legends that coming to come back. Oh God, you're putting us, all, us on the spot now. <laughs> but we've got a good list. We've got a good list. We've got yeah. Jerry Manthe. Okay. He needs to be there. I think we've put Richard Hatch on the list, but don't yeah. tell anybody. Um, I think we've got Todd Herzog. Yep. Courtney from China. Mm -hmm. Amanda from China, Micronesia, Heroes vs. Okay. Villains. Okay, who else do we have? Sophie, I think. We like Sophie. Mm -hmm. We like Sophie a lot. Who else did we put on there? Parvati. Okay, yep. Yeah. But like some of these, Earl, like, we've already cast Earl. We had Earl on this podcast. We cast okay. him. Mm -hmm. That's who we know. We I mean, listen, like the, we're building the list in real time. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, I will say, if I had it my way, though, would you say James? Oh, okay. I was going to ask about James. Oh, well, okay. So speaking oh. of a uh, survivor player that we are trying to track down, that is very hard to track down, uh -huh. is James. I have no idea where he is. We're working no on it, idea. but like he he is one that definitely would be back for for a legend season. Now I will say if I had it my way, I would bring Sari back and have her win the legend season and okay. have it sort of be like that she's the ultimate ultimate. Yeah. Because I feel like she of the famous non-winning players mm -hmm. is the top tier. And yeah. Yeah. I feel like you want a beloved winner to win the legend season. Absolutely. That's something I think is really important for Survivor that they're not always conscious of, which is that like you want a winner. I think this is why Marianne's win was so legendary because you wanted her to win. It was like exciting yeah. to have a yeah. likable winner. And I feel like sometimes you get that winner and it's like, sure, they deserve to win, but like they're not fun to really get behind. And I feel like Suri is one of those players where it's like Without a the doubt. fandom wants it. Yeah, yeah. What did you guys think about the winner, the gentleman that won this last one? <laughs> okay, I. Your faces said it all. <laughs> we don't. We don't. I was. What, what I was. Think, I was the same way that uh, the two finalists were with him. The minute as the names were coming up, I was like, jaw dropped. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was it was it was surprising. Surprising Very. is definitely a word Very. that I would I would use. <laughs>
Anyhow, well, Vesepia, we want to thank you so very much. This has been a true honor. We hope you will consider your spot on the Survivor Legends season if you ever, you know, want to get off the bench and get back in the game. That spot will be will remain there for you. Um, we'll make sure there's no knee damaging challenges. Please, no knee yes. damaging. No, no. It'll be all memory challenges, all... Anything that's in your journal. I don't yeah, even we'll mind being in the water. Yeah, I don't mind okay. the water stuff. So Okay, <laughs> okay we'll keep we that, that in mind. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, though. This has really, really been an honor. We know that you don't do a lot of podcasts, and we really appreciate you taking the time, and we're grateful that you joined us here today. You're welcome. God bless you both. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And yes, Merry um, Christmas. continue to be fans of Survivor. I, I truly will. Oh, we will be. Okay. All right. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank for you. Bye. Bye. There you have it, the iconic winner of Survivor Marquesas, Vesepia. What an honor. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It really helps people find our show. You can follow us on Instagram at DropYourBuffsPod, where you can see all the silly little memes we post and get updates on our latest episodes. If you want more Drop Your Buffs, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs. If you want to get into the Drop Your Buffs merch game, you can go check out our merch at dropyourbuffspod.com. The link is in the show notes for that. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.